When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Are we live? My sister-in-law mm. was, was doing hair. My sister-in-law was doing hair for somebody yeah. at the um, at the Aria. Mm. And she was like, what do you do for a living? And the person was like, oh, I'm a, I'm a hospitalist, you know? Mm. And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah. My, um, she started asking questions, medical questions. She was like, are you in medicine? To the hairdresser, like to my sister-in-law who's a hairdresser. And she was like, oh, no, my my brother-in-law just works on, uh, he works with this guy, Z-Dog, on Facebook. I don't know if you ever heard of him. And she was like, oh, Tom? Yeah. <laughs> Tom's your brother-in-law? <laughs> We're so famous, Tom Heinemer. We're also live. Did you know that? Hey, yo. Just as supporters, mm-hmm. because everyone else can eat a bowl of dick. That's how I feel about everybody who doesn't support. <laughs> it's true. I like how everything's clarified online nowadays. It's like, yo, these are my supporters, and these are my haters. Mm-hmm. There's a very clear dividing line. Ain't nobody got time for them hoes, but we got time for you hoes because you hoes are subscribers. So me and Tom came or Tom came to this epiphany, which I already intuitively felt, but he codified it. The cool, dope shit goes to supporters. Long form stuff, yep. stuff that that you know the fans care about. The real deal. The real. Mm-hmm. And then the tiny first clips. things first. I'm the realist. Mm-hmm. What? Oh, is that uh, what's her That's name? Iggy, the Australian Iggy, Iggy Azalea. Azalea. <laughs> Azalea. Yeah, she apparently, so apparently, not only did she fall off, there were articles written about how she fell off and flamed out and how she was all bullshit to begin with. And everybody was like, I knew it. She's like the Liz Holmes of Of white rap. That's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I thought Liz Holmes was the Liz Holmes of white rap, but I was was mistaken. Look at all our fans here, all the supporters. Katie Hodak, listening on my headset whilst patients doing exercises. Hashtag perks of HHPT. Oh, hell yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, Keho. Can we call Katie mm-hmm. Hodak Keho? Can I tell you one of the only times I was in um, PT for my finger? Because I broke my finger playing Golden Tee, the virtual golf game, which is the whitest white privilege story you can have. That's why you're our chief diversity officer here at ZDOG MD. <laughs> That's Industry. true. I'm the CDO, uh, <laughs> chief diversity officer. Yeah. We're doing pretty good. I'm the only pure white here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Z is Indian. Yes. Um, he's like sort of a weird Indian, like a Middle Eastern type Indian. I'm a Windian. You barely count, but mm-hmm. we'll count it. We'll count it. And Logan's half Mexican, so like we're doing we're doing great here at Z Dog MD. We're two thirds diverse. <laughs> by the way, speaking of that, Rachel Kinman, I like the way you quantified that. By the way, <laughs> like that's what a good CDO does. Mm-hmm. Well, that's according right. to my calculations, you know, we, we're up to sixty six percent diversity. Although Logan is ha- only half Mexican, we're right. going to count him as full. He's Mexican. partial black. Though. That's right. Yeah, and and see, black is like a special. Like you get extra credit mm-hmm. in diversity. See, I'm a pure pure white. Okay, I'm one of the good ones. All right, because <laughs> <laughs> we, my. <laughs> I signed my wife up for 23andMe, uh, and she has what most Americans have, which is a typical, you know, European, you know, yeah, just lineage, broad cross section of all things European, right? And uh, since my grandmother came here from Ireland, I'm pretty damn Irish. I'm like 90 percent Irish, basically. Nice. So yeah, it's pure. The chances? Did you know is that I- pure uncut white privilege? That, that is, speaking of uncut white privilege, to, uh, the Irish, the Irish being very inbred on a small island over mm-hmm. millennia. I have a very high rate of hemochromatosis, which is... Damn straight. Yep. And so you should get tested because I'm Hell pretty no. sure you look bronze as fuck right now. You know what? You can cure that with whiskey. 
Uh, <laughs> my grand, my grandmother was like a legit alcoholic, mm. legit. Good time. You know, she, she came by it honestly, pure mm-hmm. Irish, pure Irish. And um, when people started hassling her about her drinking later in life, she switched from whiskey to vodka, so you couldn't tell when she was drinking because it would be clear <laughs> in her glass. <laughs> See, that's good old-fashioned. She'd be like, this is just club soda. And listen, as chief diversity officer, that's you don't true. call that alcoholism. You call that ethnic pride or right. cultural spin on something. Speaking of cultural spin, Rachel Kinman supporter says, my three-year-old just told me, quote, bag of dicks while eating his lunch. <laughs> his dad will be excited. Welcome to the show, child of Rachel Kinman. Do not say bag of dicks to your dad unless you really mean it. My wife, I was talking to my four-month-old today, and my wife was talking behind me, and she's like, I had this weird dream, but I can't remember what it was about. It was about some somebody weird came to the door, and I'm talking to my daughter. I'm like, who was it? Who came to the door for mommy? Dildo salesman? <laughs> she's like... <laughs> She's like, don't say dildo around her. I was like, it's not like her first word's going to be dildo. If it does come oh out dildo, it'd be like, dildo. And you just say, oh, she's saying daddy. That's, that's her word yeah, for daddy is dildo. Yeah, yeah. yeah tell other people it's dad. Oh, my gosh. So my, my, my 11-year-old came up with this nickname for me. It started as Doodlebug. Doodlebug Jones, actually. And now it's just Doodle. So in public, she'll be like, Doodle, get over here. I want this. I'm like, you're getting nothing, bitch. I'm not your Doodle. So it's very close to dildo. Z has a real Rodney Dangerfield relationship with his children. No respect. He, no respect. No respect. No respect. <laughs> what was the movie Rodney Dangerfield made where he went back to college? Back, I think it's just called Back to School. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great movie. It is. And he joins the dive team. Uh-huh, right. Mm-hmm. And he does, at the end, he does like the triple X gainer or whatever. That's right, that yeah. He had nailed in college and no one believed him. Like They were all like... You never did it, old man. You know what I love about Rodney Dangerfield is uh, he he quit comedy. He did comedy in his twenties, and then he quit until he was like forty five. And he came back in the and game. he did construction. He did like aluminum siding or something. And then one day he was just on the construction site. He was like, "Ah, I'm sick of you schlubs. I'm going back to comedy." And then he just went back to comedy and nails it. <laughs> ah, I love people like that. I miss. We don't have anybody like he would be. He he would be so problematic oh to use God, the parlance dude. of our stupid ass of times. Our stupid ass times. <laughs> Right. In today's culture. Oh, my God. He would get less respect even. (laughs) Actually, you know what would happen is he'd have, like, some podcast where every all the cool kids would listen. Oh, it would be amazing. And all the, like, outrage culture on Twitter would be like, did you hear what Dangerfield said about gays? It's like he said they're awesome. And it's like, well, no, he didn't literally say that, but through his joke, that's that's what he's saying. Yeah. Um, Let's read some comments here. Liliana Cook. What's Dangerfield called going back to school? Oh, back to school, the best line. I mean, that's that's how we roll. Hope McDarby, my husband's pet name I gave him is Poodle Poop. Poodle Poop. That's not bad. That's yeah. adorable because it has worms in it and dysentery. What is that about? Have you ever thought about this, how you can't call the people you, that are closest to you, that you love, you can't call them by their real name? No, you can't. It's disturbing. The idea of calling my wife Margaret is so upsetting right. to me. Right, it is. And sometimes you have to do it in public. Yeah. Like you're just like you'd be like Margaret. <laughs> yeah, you feel like you have a speech impediment. Yeah. Like you're stroking, yeah. and she'll look at you funny. Like, huh? Uh-huh. Am I in trouble? Like, what's going on? <laughs> Whereas if you call her, you know, mommy pants or mm-hmm. whatever it is the nickname is, then you know it's all it's golden. You're staying golden, pony boy. I started calling my my wife was always shutting down nicknames I have for her because <laughs> I'll, <laughs> I'll just start calling her like, "What's up, little tuna?" <laughs> like my name is not fucking little tuna. 
<laughs> little tuna. Oh, that's amazing. I see. I used to do that too. I got that from the office when uh, Andy used to call Jim Big Tuna because he tuna, brought yeah. in a tuna fish sandwich. I, I this happened on a Hawaii trip when we were first dating. Uh, I started coming up with these nicknames. So I would call her. What did I call her? Mama Poop. And she's like, No, I don't answer to that. And I'm like, But you will because that's your name now, Mama. You are Mama Poop. She's like, No, no. In fact, this relationship's over. I'm like, All right, I guess I'll back it down. By the way, Michelle Remar says it's okay, Tom. Yesterday, a patient complained of ten out of ten thumb pain. <laughs> so, could you imagine? Like, that's like Theon Greyjoy getting flayed by you know yeah. by Ramsay Bolton in the Dread Fort. That's ten out of ten. That's Anything like having less? a crushed thumb. Is yeah, 10 exactly. Out of 10. Just take it off. Yeah. Just take it off. Exactly. By the way, I'm listening to Game of Thrones, the final book. Yeah. Trying to cram through it before it comes back live on mm -hmm. HBO. And dude, it's so different than the show. It's now diverged. Yeah. Like apparently, here's here's just one thing. Mance Raider doesn't actually die mm. in the book. The 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 red woman puts a spell and swaps him for the Lord of Bones mm. who burns up in the fire. And instead, Mance is still alive as this weird spirit, and he advises Jon Snow. See, I don't think I'd like the books, because I like the fact that the show stripped all the bullshit out of them like that. <laughs> yeah, know? it does get crazy. Like, the, there's a one moment on the show where a shadow character kills somebody, and you're like, this is getting a little stupid. I don't know. And in the book, that right. didn't. It, it, all it was was like they just saw you know him die mm -hmm. in a shadow, and that was it. It's not like out of her vagina comes this crawling <laughs> black goo that then it's like I'm gonna kill you know Dickhole McGee. What the fuck was his name? Uh, uh, I forget. It was in the Baratheon, right? It was Renly. Not, Renly. Renly Baratheon. Renly, who was gay. People, people who don't watch Game of Thrones, are gonna be like, what the fuck? No, are what they the fuck about? are they talking about? Uh, let's. <laughs> there's 86 people watching us fucking talk like we talk when no one's here. That's true. But that's, that's what true. you get for being a supporter. That's what you get, supporters. You get this. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, Heather Pages loves the books. Heather's Page, actually. Wow, there's somebody named Heather's Page. Heather's Page. Yeah, I think that's a nom de plume. We used to know a guy. Um, his name was Mac Hines Machines. Oh, wow. That was his name. Wow. Speaking of Mac, Macklemore. Macklemore. We want to do thrift shop. Thrift shop, that's We're right. trying to think of what it is. We were thinking gift shop and do it in the hospital. <laughs> like, I'm going to pop some tags. Mama's upstairs with a stroke now. <laughs> I'm looking, looking for a little bear. That says get well soon. <laughs> and this is why these ideas never get made. They never they get never made. They never emerge from the, from the, what's the word? The chrysalis mm. that they have formed here. The chrysalis. They're like ready to come out and then we're like, you're going to die now. We're going to abort this chrysalis. You know what I love doing is I love taking words like that and making them just a little wrong. Like oh. you'd be like, you know, it came from the chrysophis. <laughs> <laughs> just where it sounds just enough just, off. Just enough off. Yeah. You know, chrysophis, the guy who rolled the stone up the hill. It's a very Chrysophan. This is another thing my wife gets mad at me about. It's just making like making words funnier, you know? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. Instead of saying feeding the baby, I'm like, you going to food this baby soon? <laughs> <laughs> we do the same thing you know what we do is we make fun of each other's parents accents yeah but then what happens is we do it so much that we just start talking like that <laughs> you just become your parents you just become your parents <laughs> so this is the slow and insidious thing so like we'll always say you know like something will happen and and we're at dinner and i'll be like well you know you win some you lose some <laughs> And, uh, and we'll just, you know. This is a good question, actually. You and your wife are both fairly Americanized, right? Severely. Because you're both, both from immigrant uh, families. 
but you're pretty Americanized. You're very, you're very, very Americanized. How dare you, Chief Diversity <laughs> Officer? I thought I was bringing some Middle Eastern game. Here. And uh, do you? What I'm saying is, do you see any in your children? Just anything from the previous generations, or are they just like? standard spoiled american kids hmm. i think uh because Does anything filter down I yeah guess you know question. both of them were early on they were in a chinese daycare in uh california in the bay area and they were they had a chinese nanny they spoke exclusively mandarin at that mm-hmm. point so there are still these vestiges of that cultural heritage they have no indian at all no right. because even my parents are like you better pretend you're white that's how you get ahead in this world okay <laughs> you two can pass you know, for kind of off-white, just go with that. <laughs> That's what my dad used to tell me. He's like, I, I don't speak Gujarati in front of you because I don't want you developing an accent. <laughs> I'm like, so you're going to speak accented English <laughs> instead, you know? And, and so that was their rationale is you got to, you know, you want to you play the game. And then when you're with your people, then you're like, oh, white people, who knew? <laughs> who knew? They're so crazy. <laughs> It, there is this kind of interesting, um, there is this interesting uh, patois, if you will, that happens when ethnic people, say in a place like the Bay Area, get together and there's no white people around. Mm-hmm. Like everybody's Good like, enough, oh, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like, yeah, it, it's it's a kind of a reverse racism, but it's more like done out of envy. Yeah, like, man, if only yeah. we were white, we could do shit like Tom Heineber does. <laughs> I didn't, you know, I never realized I'm I'm white until certain stuff pops up. Like mm. recently, I was asked. Uh, by some lawyers who wanted to give my father a award for lawyering to come up to Vail and accept this award in a ceremony. So, and I was like, that's some white people shit. Wow. That, you know? that, you have to, to secret- I'm going to go accept an award in Vail mm-hmm. on behalf of good lawyering. Mm-hmm. And here's the decoder ring. <laughs> and uh, you know what? Uh, I'll tell you what. It, you know, it's like that episode, Mr. Mr. White, with. Uh, <laughs> With Eddie Murphy That's right. on Saturday Night Live. You no, know, White Like Me is what it's called. If, for people who haven't seen the skit, White Like Me with Eddie Murphy is one of the greatest uh, SNL skits of all time. Yeah, it's, is that the one where he goes in whiteface yeah, and, he's and like, he tries to when, get a loan? When, when, people, when other people aren't around, white people just give each other things for free. You know, <laughs> He's like, there's nobody here. Just take it. Just take the newspaper. <laughs> just take the newspaper. What? No one's looking. What are you doing? It's one of the. It's one of the best Eddie Murphy sketches of all time. That is. I love that one. That is tremendous. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He. It, it was one of those things where it was early on you start to realize, oh, that's what they mean when they talk about privilege. Just by looking different, the same guy gets treated differently. And it was like eye opening to everybody. Except it was obvious. Right. That's the best comedy. It just takes the obvious and makes it puts it in your face. I hate to admit it, but I think the social justice warriors are winning because I do think that uh, these tactics are working because we're seeing a lot of uh, SCDO. I see this in my line of work. <laughs> Chief diversity officer. Chief diversity <laughs> in officer. my line of work. In my line of work, I see a lot. You know, uh, you know I, think, I, think, I think the tactics are, are working because you hear a lot more conversation about privilege or whatever mm. like even amongst white people white people will say to each other nowadays be like you know it's different for us because we're white that shit never, never happened right, right, it was right, like right, what do right. you mean we just live our lives yeah other people are over there for some reason they're poor i don't know <laughs> <laughs> you, you know what i think i think it's a necessary evil to transcend it and we get out beyond it you know they have to go through this social justice warrior phase where people are like okay we've been shat on now we're going to overreact and do shit mm. that's actually yeah. racist in itself yeah. Like actually discriminatory and actually creates division, but we have to do it, dude. There was some stat like Uncle Tom's Cabin only came out 150 years. That's ago crazy, or something. Right, right. Like right. that's insane. I mean, there was slavery in 1860. Yeah, 
Yeah, and you could argue there were forms of uh, indentured servitude quite a bit past that. By the way, when you reread Uncle Tom's Cabin, uh, I went back and read some passages recently. It's super racist. Oh, really? Because, you know— Yeah, the you, time. You can't, of the time. Yeah, you can't escape that. Mm. But she was saying basically, yes, these people—the woman who wrote the book was like, these people are inferior to us, which is what they all believed at the time. Right. But she was like, but we're still treating them like subhumans, and you can't do you that. You can't do that. Right. Right. And so it put a real human face on slavery, which is like— it'd talk about you know how the slave traders would come and— pick a child out of the fields when their mother wasn't around mm. because he's like, you know, oh, we don't want it to be a big scene, mm. bunch of hemming and hawing. Mm. It's like, we're going to steal this child? Mm. Yeah, that was only 150 years yeah. ago, man. That's like three people ago. There's, yeah, there's, yeah, that's you know what I mean? three, three generations. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, you know what's interesting about that? So when I was a kid, uh, they had us read things like Native Son by Richard Wright which was this book about you know a black guy growing up in the 20s and the kind of shit that went down. And I remember it took a book like that to get me even savvy to the nature of the suffering. Because in that story written by a black man about a black man, you could actually live that experience and go, that's what that was like. That fucking sucks. I'm not going to do that to people. But it, it took that. Even reading about slavery, it's hard to grok because mm -hmm. it's so foreign now, even three generations ago, which is, again, speaks to the exponential nature of human societal progress. Well, yeah. yeah. But think about up until that time. Oh, my God. The whole world owned slaves. Yeah. It was normal. Yeah. Like, you, you go back to, like, Aristotle, Socrates, Plato, all these guys. They never mentioned slavery. And they all had slaves. They all had slaves, yeah. It's it just, just like, yeah, that's, what do you mean? Of course we enslaved some people. And that reminds me of Game of Thrones. Yeah. The Volunteens had slaves, but Westeros felt they were better than that. This is true. But their version of slavery in Westeros was the indentured serfdom of the medieval fife. You have your liege lord. You have the serfs. Who's too, it's the same thing, just slightly more perceived freedom. Did I ever tell you, this reminds me of the story. Did I ever tell you the story? I was moving a couch one time to, of course you were. to a buddy's Wait a place. minute. I thought you had white privilege. You didn't hire someone from Home Depot to do I that? I wish. <laughs> uh, I was moving a couch to a, a buddy's place, and we put it in the back of his truck. He was like, do you, don't you think we need a bungee cord this time? I was like, it'll be fine. Stop being a puss. Anyway, and then we got in the car. We're driving, and I started giving this dissertation about Game of Thrones. I'm like, here's the deal, bro. If you're from Essos, people from Westeros don't give a fuck about your shit. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And then my buddy's like, wait, where's the couch? And we look back. We dropped it on the freeway. <laughs> right during the middle of this Game of Thrones diatribe. Oh, my God. Dude. Luckily, we went back. We had not caused a 42-car pileup. So wow. we were in the clear. I, had we, I would have kept going. Wow. Of course. You know, uh, I, I, I shudder to think what would have happened were you to launch into a dissertation about the magical properties of the wall <laughs> relating to the Age of Heroes. There uh, are a lot of magical properties to the wall. It's, it's woven into the fabric. It's not just ice, yeah, Tom Heineberg. Exactly. Okay, and that's why when that fucking ice dragon mm -hmm. melted that shit, okay— it started to get real. I called that shit early on. I was like, a dragon is going to melt that wall. Mm. Of course. Because mm. dragon fire. How could it be any other way? It can't be. R plus L equals J, son. You know what I'm saying? Rhaegar plus Lyanna equals Jon Snow. What's up? <laughs> That's R plus L equals J. <laughs> you know, I see a book coming. The Math of Game of Thrones. And it's going to be a series of equations like that. Like Tyrion minus Sansa equals Dick. <laughs> Um, Just getting off. The, did the couch survive, Rachel Kinman? Uh, it did. It did. Yeah. All right. It got hit by a truck right behind us. We think because it got just bounced over to the side, and then it was just only slightly damaged. That that's uh huh. That's amazing. It's true. 
That's amazing. We used to call that couch the hot dog couch because we got it at a Memorial Day sale at RC Willie all the way in the back. And as part of the sale, they were offering free hot dogs for anybody who came in that day. And so the hot dog vendor was all the way in back next to the shitty couch we bought. Oh, my God. Dude, that's, you know, we had a couch like that in college. That was college. Yeah. Summer Pinnock says, LOL, my baby is loving watching you too. Hello, baby. Get in my belly. Get in my belly, baby. Hello, look in my eyes, baby. That's not creepy. Oh, I'm glad our fans like bring their kids. Can I tell you something? I feel comfortable telling the supporters this. Oh, no. So I'm going to therapy. Oh, Lord. Because I'm trying to get in touch with my feelings. And um, <laughs> my therapist tells me to go follow this person on Instagram named The Holistic Psychologist. And Z, let me tell you, I was like, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. I'm not following that person, but no. I went and followed him because I was like, I'm trying to do therapy. Mm. And you know what you find out when you do therapy? Mm. A lot of it is whack as fuck. <laughs> a lot of it. So I go to this person's page and I'm like, I'm expecting to hate this person. And I was like, you know what? She makes some compelling points. <laughs> <laughs> and what it's all we- about the whole page is about like, you know, healing your inner child mm-hmm. or healing yourself is how you heal your children and mm. stop the cycle of abuse. Probably and- true. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. yeah. I think I, I believe this. This is, the pro- this is the problem. And so it's all interwoven. But what I was what I was going to say is this um, these kind of people are, you know, this person is like one step away from selling oils. Right. Mm-hmm. But they're not selling oils right, yet. So right. it's okay to follow it. Right, right, right. At the moment. But you know they're gonna sell some. They're gonna oils sell some oils. Because it yeah. starts getting it starts like it's like here's the thing. Okay, there's a brain body connection between the microbiome and, and your feelings and, and you have to and it's like, okay, none of this is real science yet. I mean, may, yeah, eat good food, you probably feel healthy, whatever, you know. Yeah. So I was having this conversation with my therapist and she's like, um, you what do you feel about, you know, like when you you know, like they put glossfate or whatever on the on the on the plants and i was like you mean roundup yeah okay i don't care about that and she was like well i try and eat organic and stuff i was like do you go do you eat out it's like yeah it's like how often do you eat out like half the time it's like okay so well, you're then. eating you know roundup half the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. like i mean plus by the time it's been washed yeah. and it's gotten there's no there's just, hardly any pesticides just enjoy life man how come people don't understand that dose makes the poison they, they don't understand it but also why are these communities being underserved by medicine because of medicine because medicine's reductionist because we're pretty reductionist and i think we treat people like shit and when we did that show with Britt hermes talking about this and she nailed it her first experience with a dermatologist dermatologist was a fucking bitch to her right or a dick i forget who what the gender was and it doesn't matter except now i'm gonna fucking feel like i'm a sexist because i assumed it was a bitch i also think that uh that is sexist Um, (laughs) you know i also also, by the way by the way paul duran says tom all caps does not need to get in touch with his feelings. Period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said about myself at one point. I was like, at this point, I either have to help a bunch of people or murder a bunch of people, and I'm still on the fence. You know what? <laughs> I was gonna say that's a false equivalence, but I think it's actually an equivalence. Equivalence. You just flip a coin; it's gonna end up the same, except one will end with you in in prison or dead. Well, that's the thing. Like, you know, people are always like, why do why are all these males doing mass shootings? It's like because they want status. Yeah, and yeah, you keep printing their name in the newspaper. Right, they're lo- they're losers. That's why Jacinda, you know? what's her head or whatever from New Zealand, was like, "I'm not even gonna say this fucker's name." Yeah, yeah. What do you think about New Zealand banning guns? You know, I don't. Again, I've said my piece on this in the sense that if it's codified into the Constitution, and you you know, it's not. Again, it's one of those deals where, yeah, do you need an assault rifle? Well, Logan needs one because he likes to shoot rocks a lot. 
I think they felt better doing it. I don't think it's actually going to change a whole lot. Right. Yeah. So. Although they would say, mm -hmm. and uh, people that are liberal as fuck would be like, <laughs> but what about Australia? Yeah, but now they Aust took away the guns and they did a buyback. Right? Now people just die by a kangaroo or Australia something. Australia had a different culture about it. And it's again, this culture is very different. We, we forget there are, like you said, it was just three generations ago we had slaves. Yeah. It was five generations ago that motherfuckers were telling us what to do with guns. It's true. And if we didn't have guns in our own militia, people would step on our shit. And I think there's still a culture that moves forward. There's a cultural inheritance. Malcolm Gladwell writes about it in his books about Southern honor. Like in the South, like you insult someone, man, it's gonna come to blows and shit. Yeah. And that is a cultural tradition. Whereas in the North, they're just a bunch of fucking pussies. Yeah. Yeah. Malcolm Gladwell wouldn't say this, but I'll say it, um, is... Uh, Bitches black, ain't shit but hoes and tricks? Black culture comes from that same mm. um, Southern honor culture. So really? what we see in urban uh, inner city ghettos comes from uh, that same that same rural honor culture because, you know, uh, white field hands and black slaves work together and they picked up each other's culture. Hmm. So a lot of what we see in the inner city is honor culture stuff. There is an honor culture for sure. You know? I don't I don't. And whether that's the ideology of it or something else, it's interesting. And the question is, how do you address an honor culture when in a, in a scientific sense, it makes little sense now. In mm. an evolutionary sense, it kind of makes sense. There's in-group, out-group. Yeah, yeah. You, you have to represent your tribe and Yeah, your think family. about, I mean, yeah. for all of human history, all of human history, up until very recently, mm -hmm. you, you lived a small life, you farm for potatoes or something stupid, and then every once in a while, other dudes would come in and kill everybody and rape your wife. And you mm. were like, uh, what? gotta stop this, mm. right? Game of Thrones. So it's like, if I don't know you... You're not part of the group, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry about it. Yeah, and that's and it's still yeah. it's honestly that's, it's that's still an idea. Yeah, it's funny. As I was having this conversation, so my kids are getting smart all of a sudden. Like suddenly they're waking up and becoming less concrete. Getting woke. Getting woke. So my seven year old was asking me these questions about the nature of the universe. Like, so does the universe end? And I'm like, We don't know. Well, if it doesn't end, well, if it does end, what what's after it? I said, Well, imagine three dimensional space and a fourth dimension that a bubble is blowing up into. And she looked at me like so we're living in a bubble and i'm like sort of so then i got, I, I pushed her off i'm like I, I can't answer your questions bitch <laughs> move on to the 11 year old the 11 year old was like so why is it that uh america hasn't been invaded by enemies and i said well the british did it yeah but it was hard and we won yeah because we're separated by oceans well what mm -hmm. happened in the old days when all the continents were one were we all friends and i said this is a good question the answer is probably not if we existed which we did not as modern humans the reason is humans go through concentric, I didn't say it this way, I said humans as they grow up, it, it, as, a, as, a, as a people, start to learn, well, first it's about your family, then it's about your tribe, then it's about your nation and everyone else can fuck off, then it's about the whole planet, but we haven't quite gotten to that planetary level, so we're still about our tribe. And, and our that's nation. when you install a one world government, mm -hmm. and that's when all the liberals run everything. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> 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 exactly, Tom Heineberg. That's what we're going to do, we liberals. I'm and yes, we all snap like this. <laughs> you do. That's true. I'm impressed that your uh, six-year-old or whatever knows about Pangea. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, the 11-year-old knew about Pangea. The oh, six-year-old knew about the universe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, have you ever seen the map of the continents laid out uh, sort of 
this way yeah. rather than on a globe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can see like where the connections they yeah. all make to each other. Bearing and straight. they're all pretty much they're one landmass. They're a puzzle. Yeah. But no, Tom, the Earth is 6,000 years old. That's true. Ethan believes that. If you trace back the lineages. Yes. Mm-hmm. I am Adam. I still measure in cubits. Oh, me too. It's from here to Stones and cubits. From here to here. And that's just my dick. Uh-huh. The rest, <laughs> I use meters because, you know, you don't want to. You have to use appropriately sized. Um, So there was something related to that. Oh, so the youngest one, seven-year-old, was asking me. I said, oh, hit me with some more hard questions. She goes, why is it that planets float in space? Are they propelled by some rocket? What keeps them up? And I said, I had to go through the Socratic series of questions. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Why is it that we fall? Gravity. What makes gravity? I don't know. So, well, mass makes gravity. So, like, stuff makes gravity. And the bigger stuff you have, the more gravity there is. So, in space, is there any stuff? No. Is there any gravity? No. So, that's why. They're not floating. They're just not falling. And then I said, wait. Because she said, then she followed up. She goes, well, why do they go around the sun? Are they rocket-powered? That's when you got to pull out the blanket. <laughs> and you do the blanket demonstration, you know? I said, there was flat bitch. Yeah, exactly. The, <laughs> the way I had to describe this is I said, well, the sun actually has gravity more than any of the planets. And actually, each of these planets is, I lied, there is gravity. They are falling. They're falling towards the sun. But they're also running as fast as they can because when they formed, they were already moving and there's nothing in space to stop them. So they're always falling but never quite hitting the sun. So when you fall like this, it's called an orbit. And she just looked at me blankly. So I might not have explained it well. Um, you should have explained it even doper. You should be like, okay, at the beginning of time, there was two dust motes. And then yeah, they, they got clumped, stuck they together. They clumped together, and then two more clumped together, and then two, and then and then the mass got hot, and that's why the center of the planet is, is warm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, think about it. And also it. F equals MA, and then you get really esoteric. Uh-huh. And you're like, R plus L equals J. That's right. You know? and like, now, Newton said this, and he could predict this, but here's the thing. He didn't quantify for relativistic shift, shifts, and now when we do that, we find this. Can I tell you that um, one of the things I really hate, and this is something I, I always battle up against in therapy, is like this, like, everybody has their own truth thing, mm. which is like, um, yeah, no, they don't. <laughs> there's a truth, and then a bunch of dumbasses who are lying to themselves. <laughs> I don't there's That's one, the Tom Heinover approach. Objective truth there's exists. There's one truth. There's one just truth. one truth. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean there's objective truth in human interaction, mm. right? Because mm. that's all. That's pretty subjective, right. By its very nature, right. But saying that everything is subjective truth is like having a compass and saying well my north is south and i'm like yeah your compass is broken it's like no this is my north (laughs) you know and it's like no your compass is broken man and it's like "Mm -mm, no this is my north anyway bye and then that person heads off south and they fucking die right (laughs) because they're killed by penguins this is why it's important to align yourself with the truth so that you know where you're heading. And I'll, I'll say this, since we're all just conscious agents interacting, experience is your own. That's your own truth. However, the way these things interact are predictable, and that is truth. Fucking exactly. That's science. Exactly. That's consensus. Yeah. 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 And it, That's maybe- where reality forms. And you can't abstract away like the laws of thermodynamics, right? right exactly. Or the way that gravity works. Correct. Or, you know. I am with you. But you could say that the way I experience this table is different than the way you experience it because my color perception is different, my sense of tactile sense is different, and in fact, my conceptual application of previous knowledge to table is different than yours. So my truth of the table is different. However, there's an objective way this table interacts with the rest of this social network of conscious agents. Yes. That is predictable. A hundred percent. With math. Yeah, I'm never talking from my own subjective vantage point when I talk about the truth. Mm -hmm. My truth doesn't matter. I have 
feelings. Those are not truths, right? Right. Well, the that, truth, that's the truth is outside of me. That, it's not like this is my truth, man. <laughs> you know, it's it's out here. Well, I I would say that probably though you're influenced by your own truth in how you perceive your interaction with the what whatever the real truth is. So in other yes, words, yes, I'm not saying that I'm like a a perfectly rational human being. Right, right. You're no, not no, an I'm, efficient market. Yeah, I have all sorts of perceptual uh, filters that color the way I see the world. Right. That said, there are truths out there, and if you get enough data points from enough, you know. Yeah. You get you get the whole panopticon of everything that oh, we can you see. Used a big word now. And then we get the data that merges at the center point. That's probably going to be the truth most Su of the time. Suzanne Anderson says, ah, scientific evidence is a warm, objective blanket in which to wrap ourselves. Yes. No, I meaning I think she's being positive about scientific evidence. It's like, well, when in doubt, yes. there is this objective relational truth. And, and again, it's a relational truth. I just read an article about something called informational realism. So it basically says atoms and all that aren't real. What's real is these relationships, these these number numerical, like, okay, these atoms come together in a certain way, whether they're atoms or not doesn't matter. The information they contain is spin, position, this, that, that probability. That's real in the sense yeah. that we can actually use it to make predictions about the universe. So that's great. But the thing is, none of that obviates the fact that it's all just consciousness in, in Hoffman's mind and in mine. I, I also agree. I believe that it's probably all just consciousness yeah. as well. The, the other that said, we're here... And we're stuck. Yeah. So we, we do need to figure out the world. So, I agree. You know what I mean? I agree. So that you we know, can operate the world. Right, 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 right. If each of us is a... Think, think about this. You ever think about this? The the cave people, Neanderthals, had the same um, resources that we have today. The only thing that was different is the recipe. So they just didn't have the order of how to do things that, that we know through trial and error. So like, you know, grains of sand are just grains of sand to cavemen. To us, they can be silicone chips uh, right. or in a glass computer. or right. glazing. Or, yeah. Well, so and that that gets back to this informational realism. So they lacked the information to create what yes. we have here. So what is what it what what is reality? I think it's a series of um, of strands of awareness. Each of us yeah. interacting in this infinite social network, evolving over time to gain more and more information about the, its relationship to the whole, and thereby actually changing it. Yeah. So we create the universe this way, and it unfolds. So that's why slavery was okay yeah. in seventeen something, and it's not okay now because we've actually modified our strand of thought. And you know. Progress in civilization is really about the speed at which information flows. Like, yeah, you know, it's interesting. We were talking about doing a book for a long time. Like, we were like, oh, we should do a book, and then we kind of stopped even talking about it because we were like, the podcast is the book. And mm. you know what? I actually think that YouTube and um, Facebook and all the technologies that we have available at our disposal are the new printing press, and that the printed word is is dying. Uh, yeah. You know? I, I'm starting to believe that. Because I, 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 honestly, if I feel in my gut, do I want to write a book? The answer is fuck no. It's like when you read Trump, right? Like you read Trump. You read him, like, it sounds This guy's the dumbest he's person just, alive. He's intellectually disabled. And then you <laughs> listen to Trump, you're like, he's kind of funny. And he's kind of <laughs> making some points I agree with. The whole like, you know, yeah. the whole thing. And he's actually, it's funny, when you hear him talk, 
he actually comes off as weirdly self-deprecating. At yes, times. no, no. Like you're he's, like he's vaguely charming. Vaguely charming. Yeah. Whereas in written, you're like this guy's a megalomaniac. Mm-hmm. Like there's something wrong. Somebody hurt him as a child. <laughs> Whereas Obama, when you would read things from Obama, you're oh, like, great, very presidential. Yeah, you listen to him talk and be like, I'm, I'm so bored. fucking bored. I'm so bored. Got ready to go to sleep. Make no mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody diddled Trump as a child, um, but I think it's I think it's interesting because I think um, this whole thing that you know people are tuning into podcasts more and more and more like mm. stuff that we're doing now and you know stuff that other people are doing, and uh, I think it's the new reading. Mm. Like I really do. And that's simultaneously concerning and inspiring. It's funny because I looked at my kid, my 11-year-old's bookshelf today because we're moving and we're organizing all the books, and she yeah. has probably a hundred books on there. And I was like, so you know, these are just for show, right? You don't actually read all these. She's like, I've read every single book on that shelf and all the ones downstairs and all that. I'm like, so that's what you're doing in the back of the fucking car when I don't hear from you. <laughs> She's always got a book and I just tune it out. Yeah. Bitch has read a shit ton of books. And so the question is now as she enters the world of social media, which I'm not going to let her use until mm-hmm. – <laughs> but, but how is that going to evolve? Because she'll watch YouTube clips and she'll do these kind of things. And it, so – is it? Do you need both? I think you do. Yeah. But the thing is, you can consume books in millions of ways. I like audiobooks now. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You have to be able to have the foundational skill of reading. Reading, right, right, right. right. But uh, you know, for me especially, I've read. I probably read. I don't know, man. Three or four thousand books in my right. lifetime. And uh, you just find the same ideas over and over again. But you have to read the thousand first. You do. Yeah. You, you do. Whereas when I'm listening to the conversations I'm listening to now online, uh, the speed at which ideas are flying around is much faster. Yeah. And I'm much more engaged yeah. in those ideas. It feels like when I was in fourth or fifth grade and I was reading all the time. Right, right. You know? Well, you know, I think it's partially because humans evolved uh, a verbal storytelling tradition. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. That's so part of it, too. Yeah, we're, In fact, it's just all storytelling if you listen to uh, Harari. Right. Right. Yeah. It's 100 percent stories. Money is storytelling. Story. You know, econ, everything. That That's we do. right. Actually, Peterson has said that, too. And uh, others have said that, too. And it's interesting because the people who say that typically fall into this intellectual dark web mm. uh, of, you know, elite philosophers. But in reality, it's just common sense. Yeah. Although people will use it um, like like Taleb will use it um, as he calls it scientism, where mm. it's like. You're not really a scientist. You're oh, yeah, 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 yeah. you're telling uh, the story, the of, story science. of science. That's your story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? you know, in a way, I hate to say this, but that's what our platform does. A little bit. Yeah. yeah, we tell the story of science, and the reason is, if we told the raw science, there'd be a group that are into that. But there are plenty, like people like Peter Atia. He tells the raw science. He doesn't right. tell the story of science. He's a maven, so he cares about this knowledge. Yeah. Whereas I care about people learning to be better in the world right. from a medical standpoint or otherwise. And I care about everybody uh, getting their fucking compasses to true north. That's there you what go. I care about. Whatever you do with your compass, I don't care. Yeah. But I want your compass to be aligned correctly <laughs> before you head out into the woods. And that's why we make a decent team. Let's you know look at I'm these saying? supporter uh, comments. Um, let's see. Love the smell of a book. Can't get that from a Kindle. Sensory memories are there, Stephanie Miranda. And that's what my daughter, she won't do Kindle. Yeah, Kindle kind of sucks. Yeah, kind of I have does. a Kimble, Kindle paper white or whatever the hell. And yeah. The one that's more bookish than the yeah, regular Yeah, Kindle. yeah, right, right. And I still don't like it that much. No, books are better for Yeah. You know. um, it's good for like the beach or something. Yeah. Like if you're going to travel and take a bunch of books. You know, then it's good. Then it's good, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah traveling. Katie Hodak, as usual, all Z talks boil boil down to consciousness. <laughs> love, love it. It's true. Some people don't. Some people get very fucking triggered when I start talking about that shit. It's funny when we were doing the beta brand thing. I started talking about meditation, consciousness. Yeah. I was watching the audience, 
Because, see, normally when I do these things, there's no fucking audience. It's right. a virtual audience. Right. I see comments and they're like, you're crazy. Oh, you're high. What's going on? I'm but like, you're reading the room now and you're like, Now oh. I'm reading the room and I'm watching their faces glaze over and start to look at their watches. And I go, oh, it's interesting. So, and, and I think it's partially because for even me to get to the point of thinking of this stuff had to be a huge process. Oh. A huge process of like, what yeah. am I? Yeah, have your middle age crisis, start to meditate, do some psychedelics. You know, you had to go yeah. through the whole process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're not there, you're asking. It's like it's like a, some weird alien coming and saying, you know, <laughs> and you going, well, of meditation course. is entirely frustrating. Yeah, also. it can be. You know, I went and it goes through phases. Yeah, you know me, I'm like an tireless advocate of meditation. I for the last month probably took like four days off at a time meditating i hadn't done it yeah. because i just got fed up i hit this wall where i was like it's wasting an hour of my day and nothing's getting better right, right, fucking, right fucking shit and then i started noticing that i was unraveling a little bit yeah so then i started meditating in a slightly different approach instead of an hour i did 30 minutes and at the end of 30 minutes i would listen to one lesson one day from sam harris's uh waking up app yeah and oh it's been transformative so like now i First of all, it's much more focused, and then the rest of the day I'm infused with this sense that Sam gives you because he's a teacher. So some, what I needed at this point was a teacher. So what I'm saying is there isn't one answer, and it evolves over time, and if you get frustrated, that's okay. It's normal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I need to meditate uh, <laughs> just for a state change yeah. in my brain, you know? Just it, so I can, just so I can refire my brain in a in a different way. It, you know, it's really what Atiyah said when he was talking about meditation on the show. He said, he said it's not meditation is not for how you feel in that moment. Mm -mm. It's like when you exercise. Yeah. You don't exercise to feel like shit when you're exercising. You right. exercise for the other twenty three hours that yeah. you feel better for. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's the goal of meditation ultimately. Yeah, I also think meditation is just um, people think it's supposed to be like this Zen. Like when you start talking about it and people's eyes glaze over, they think it's like uh, what I'm just, I'm supposed to go sit in a cave, right. and fucking like Zen out, like. Bitch, I got kids. I got bills to yeah. pay, right? Yeah. Whereas I think the actual truth of meditation is it's just like taking your hand off a hot stove, which is just like, hey, you're getting addicted to being angry or yeah. sad or you know OCD or anxious or whatever it is. And you need the tool to be able to take your hand off that right. stove. Right. It's, it's very simple and prescriptive. And it's, it's interesting because I, I had blown off Sam Harris's app thinking I don't need this because I'm using the mm -hmm. mind illuminated. I'm going through this thing. I'm a moderate meditator. Not true. Sam has been on a collective two years of silent retreat, and he is an a, a articulate communicator of the fundamental truth of the meditation style he's teaching, which is this. You are a field of awareness in which your personality, your sense of self, your emotions, your mood all arise. Right. But you aren't those moods. You aren't those thoughts. And punctuating your day by making these little mini realizations changes everything. Yeah. So instead of getting lost in thought, up, lost in an emotion, angry, frustrated, you can go, oh, for a second, no, I'm just the, I'm aware of these things. And right. actually as this fundamental awareness, I'm eternal, I can't be fucked with, I can't be colored, I can't be moved, Yeah. and everything else just happens. And he said this, which I thought was spot on, consciousness experiences the world as you. So this you, this constructed self that is this dynamic system of subminds interacting with itself and others is awareness's way of seeing the world and it's seeing it through your eyes but it your eyes are not a a thing in themselves they're a they're a mechanism through which awareness has experience. So when yeah. you when you do that you let go of all this oh, I am this person, I am this ego, I am this but but again it's hard. 
It's yeah. weird. It's super hard. Yeah. And even not, just what to, I just said is going to lose like 70% of the audience. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it doesn't have to be as woo-woo as people make it. It can literally just be, you know, I'm I'm furious and I'm about to fucking throw a chair through a window. Right. And what I'm going to do is now I'm going to move that anger over here. And it's going to, me and it are going to coexist in this moment. I'm going to be like, what are you doing? Why are you so angry, man? What are you angry about? You know? Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't throw a chair through a window. Maybe you should just step back. And just having that split second of pause. That's all it takes. That's all it takes to dissipate it almost entirely. That, and, that's, and Harris has this line, too, that he says, how long can you stay angry right. without getting lost in thought? In other words, without identifying with the anger. Yeah. If you see anger arising and recognize, like you said, oh, shit, I'm about to throw this chair. Now, first of all, who's this I? Well, it's this feeling that I have that I want to throw this chair. Oh, okay. What happens if I just watch? Oh, the anger just dissipates. Yeah. It can't last for more than a few seconds. But if you hang on to if you it, hang on to it, it it's, like, days. Um, it's like holding on to a hot stone and waiting around a corner to throw it at somebody else. Yeah. And yeah, maybe yeah. that person's coming around the corner. Maybe they're not. Right. We all know that feeling, yeah. which is like, I'm going to hang on to this yeah. anger so nobody ever hurts me again because really I'm <laughs> small and I'm sad. <laughs> exactly. Hey, well, well, here's the thing, though. We have to forgive that bundle of thoughts because it evolved for a reason. Like that anger was Keeps you very sad. productive, yeah. right? Because otherwise you trust everyone, you're open. These things are dangerous in a tribal community where you're always in danger. So you're not going to, as a strand of thought, you're not going to pass on a baby strand of thought to the universe because you're going to be dead. Totally. And by dead, this is my theory on death. This is going to fucking, I'm going to lose all the audience. My theory on death is if we're a collection of these uh, conscious agent subminds that sum up to our level of experience and they're feeding us data. So a thought is a thought discriminating mind feeding us data into this conscious awareness that we then perceive. But even that little submind is aware and full of subminds itself. Mm. When we die, this confederation of subminds dissolves into its primary parts, each of which remain conscious, but then they are reassembled into you know, another consciousness later as just as atoms are. So instead of thinking atoms, think experience and conscious agents. So what's a child? A child is sort of the flow of your consciousness creating, and, and it, the word karma is used here in that it is causes and conditions that you put into motion that end up in your child, which is another strand of consciousness that evolves out subminds into a awareness. And in a way, that is the immortality of that strand that started with you. But even if you die without children, you're still just part of this bigger awareness, just dissolved out. So you don't have this level of awareness, but there are sub-awarenesses, and mm -hmm. then you may be part of a bigger awareness that you cannot access when you're, you know, trapped in this. Right. So I, you know, I think death is an illusion. And when the the in the Buddha in the Buddhic, you know, I'm trying to think about this, in the cycle of life in Buddhism, desire is the cause for reincarnation. So mm. maybe you desire to come back as this type of subjective uh, experience. Like mm. you want to reassemble as these conscious agents. Right. And maybe you're allowed to do that uh, throughout time. You know, like you ever heard the, the thing, like you live the same life until like you get it right. You know? Right. Well, I wonder, and maybe I wonder, it just recycles over and over again. So, like so that we live in an infinite loop. Cause this idea, this idea of that 
reincarnation is a troubling one from a scientific perspective, but what about from a conscious agent perspective? It's what you're saying. So this question of like, you're allowed to implies a higher deity that's saying you can do this and these are the rules. And yeah. what if it's more, these are just, we were talking about science. Uh, in, in reincarnation, there's no higher deity. You're the highest deity. You are the highest deity. Yeah. So what it is, is it's this like a river flowing of experience and conditions and actions. Have I told you about the Tibetan Book of the Dead? You've never read it, right? I've never read it, but you told me a little bit. So in the Tibetan Book of the Dead, uh, basically what happens is you die, right? And then you meet God. That's the very first thing that happens. Hmm. And when you meet God, God is the all, hmm. all of consciousness. Right. It's overpowering. Right. And if you cower, um, you get kicked back down, basically, to live again. And... You go to either a heaven, if you lived a good life, like sort of a nice place between lives, or you go to a hell, sort of a terrible place between lives. And neither is a permanent state. So if you're Hitler, you're in hell for a long time, but not permanently. Mm. If you're a good person, you lived a good life, maybe your Mother Teresa or something, you live in heaven for a long time, but not permanently. And it's kind of based on your own desires. Do you want to stay in heaven? Do you want to stay in hell? How do you get out of it? But if when you meet God, you realize... I am God. That is me. I am part of the all. We are all the all. Mm. Then you transcend, and that's nirvana. That's nirvana. That's enlightenment. That's the end of the karmic cycle. Right. Right. If um, you choose the cycle of reincarnation of life and death, you go back down. You spend all the time in heaven or hell. When you get out of heaven or hell, you go to this sort of series of caves, and you are— and I'm saying this is the Tibetan Book of the Dead. I'm not saying I necessarily believe this. Right. This is what's in their this religion. This is their mythology, yeah. This is Tibetan Buddhism. This is what the, what's in their religion. Although, as somebody who's done a lot of drugs, it makes a lot of sense. Um, <laughs> and you get kicked back down, and then you go through these series of caves, and the Godhead, your higher self, the all, is basically giving you instructions on which cave to choose from. And you choose a cave based on the kind of life that you want to live and the lessons you want to learn and maybe what you're hoping to get out of things. And then... You go into that cave, and then you fucking come out, and you're a brand-new baby because each of those caves is a womb. Mm. And that's what happens in the Tibetan Book of the Dead. So see, if, if any of that's true, it is purely a metaphorical way that humans can wrap their brain around what's actually happening with conscious agents, in my mind. We could never know if those things are true, right? right? Because it's those that happens elsewhere. Right, and, and who can tell us? Who can yeah. come back and tell us? Who can right? come back and tell now, us? Now, the, the Christians will say, well, Jesus came back and told us. But see, here's the thing. Here's how I see God— and Donald Hoffman agrees with me because he came up with this idea, probably on the shoulders of others, which is if every, if, if according to the math, his theories, conscious agents sum up to higher levels of consciousness that we don't directly access, although we might get glimpses when you're at a game like Golden Knights hockey game and everybody's synced and they're all watching this one person together emerges out a higher level of cohesion and awareness. Right. So God is the highest level where everything in the universe is synced. Is yeah. synced. And in that mind, we can't access it. But imagine what that experience is like. And that's people who have transient connection with that state come back as mystics. They're like, I talked to God, and he told me this shit right here. Yeah. So we should stop being dicks to each other. Because guess what? We're all one. Well, that's what pretty much everybody says. So there's probably some truth that we're getting at with these mystical experiences that are really just synchronizations with these higher, uh, you know, 
confluence of submines. Oh, totally. Yeah. And anybody who's done a shitload of drugs will tell you that. <laughs> Fuck, man. We pretty much crushed this podcast, Tom Heinberg. We've kind of gotten, you know, we've kind of gotten rid of mystical experience from, um, like, the Bible and the Judeo-Christian, right. uh, you know. The burning bush and these yeah, things yeah. are mystical experiences. Those are mystical right. experiences. I mean, the burning bush is obviously drugs. Smoking, it's obviously smoking drugs. that DMT. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, there was, like, what was the ancient psychedelic that used to have? Soma. Soma. Which was sort of this... You know, I it think also it was Alice Egyptian Huxley. culture. Yeah. 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 And nobody knew quite what it was, but it's probably some sort of ergot fungus, like LSD type substance, yep. you know, as a kombucha type drink, whatever it was. Yep. And uh, yeah, I think everybody should just do more drugs, man. I, I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> jo- Jody Houghton says, uh, good morning. I just finished a hospice death visit and I turned this on, LOL. God talks to me. He used you to speak to me. Thanks, guys. Love that you do this. Now on to the next patient. You know, being in a, a hospice room is a very different experience. Mm-hmm. And um, I never felt, you know, I never felt as mystical being in like a church. I always mm. felt like, oh my God. Yeah. I'm so bored. Get me the fuck out of this church. Right. But Good when, Catholic you're, boy. when you're in a hospice ward, it's sort of like hollowed yeah. ground yeah. and you walk around and yeah. the whole place. It feels mystic. Anybody who works hospice, any nurse who's dealt with death, any doctor who's had to pronounce someone or be there at the end of life has felt this. And it's real. Like, it's mm-hmm. a real thing. Now, the question is, is it just our cultural expectations around death and a mystic- mystification of death? And No, I think it's actually— yeah, I don't think so. You're there resonating with another dynamic system— of consciousness yeah. that is going through this epic event. When I was, you know, when I was in hospital, like if you're going to be a reductionist about it and say that, uh, you know, well, the body and then it stops and then you, you die and Science. that's it. And then Science. it's like a computer and the brain just turns off. Science. Um, that's not true. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> like, because when I, when yeah. I was, uh, in hospice with my father, he should have died six days before he died. And like the body was gone mm. and all the nurses kept coming up to me and being like, are you going to sleep here tonight? Because mm. you should sleep here tonight. Mm. And so, you know, I'd stay there until like 1, 2 a.m. And I'd be like, I don't think he's going to pass tonight. And I'd go home. He'd be alive the next day. Mm. You know, and I did that like every day for six days because and all the nurses were convinced he was, his mind was hanging on. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because he wasn't ready to leave yet. That's how strong yeah. the mind is. I, I, I'm a full, you know, it took me years to get to this state of like, anti-reductionism about this yeah yeah now the thing is in a way i'm a reductionist everything is made out of one bit conscious agents interacting with each other exchanging experience but that's as reductionist as i get think about that though like of course how could you have uh complex structures if they didn't have very simple rules exactly right that they follow and i actually don't think they're infinite all the way down i think it there is a lower the big problem with Hoffman's theory is you can't measure it. Yeah. And you'll never be able to measure it. Yeah, not yet. Although I bet there will be clever AI-driven ways to actually measure the conscious agent theory because you can start to make predictions based on his math and go, okay, hmm. one way to one way to measure it is if from his formulas about conscious agents interacting, can you derive quantum mechanics, relativity, and basic chemistry, yeah. Newtonian physics? If you can, then it's more likely to be true than any other theory. And again, all theories are only a- approximations. Right. Yeah. Do, do you know the story about the dude who invented the microscope? I forget his name. But uh, uh, His name was Mike Roscope. <laughs> <laughs> he was, uh, I think he was Scottish or English or uh, whatever. And so he sent in a, uh, a thing to the, you know, Scottish Society of uh, Science or the British Society of Science, whatever it was. And he was like, 
Guys, you're not going to fucking believe this shit. Um, so here's the deal. There are small animals living in the water. <laughs> <laughs> and people were like, what the fuck Holy are you shit. talking about? It's like when I talk about this stuff. They sent him back a letter basically being like, you're drunk. Shut the fuck mm-hmm. up. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know? And then he showed up with the microscope and he was like, look at it. Yeah. It's right. So maybe when we get to like whatever can measure consciousness, we're going to be like, this is insane. Yeah, Take it yeah. back. I don't want to know if there's invisible conscious well, agents all over me. You know the problem? You know? See, this is this is how, this is the microscope for consciousness, meditation. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you can't just turn on a light and have anyone look at it. It takes a fucking shit ton of work right. unless you're a savant. And that's the problem. So anybody who's an adept meditator will tell you, yeah, this feels right. Anyone I've talked to who's like done, you know, is I, I know a doctor who's a Zen Buddhist, spend years in on, on silent retreats, done all this, and he, and when I showed him Hoffman's theory, he's like, yeah, of course, that's exactly right. Feels as about as right as my empiric experience through meditation would tell me. Yeah, um, as soon as you told it to me, I was like, yeah, you were like, as right, a person right. who's done DMT and mm-hmm. gone to the other side, <laughs> it's real. It's real. I feel it. But now I think the vast majority of people look at you like you're insane. Um, yeah, which is okay. <laughs> That's all right. I won't only cry myself to sleep certain days of the week. I've given that to myself. Speaking of which, I have to go meet a fucking real estate agent. Lame. I know, because I have to sell my house. Lame. It's super lame, dude. Lame. I'll buy your house, bro. How much is it up for? Five bucks. Six bucks. <laughs> what do you think? Plus, like, take me to Chipotle. Well, let's go to that McDonald's across the street. You can have any five items off the Holy dollar shit, menu. Holy shit, off the dollar menu? Yeah. What about tax? You know, it used to be my thing I would tell girls when uh, when I take them out. They'd be like, "Where are we going?" I'd be like, "We're going to McDonald's." You can have any three things off the dollar menu. <laughs> if you're good, you can have a dessert. <laughs> that sounds like Vader. And if you're really good and you worked especially hard, we'll have a dessert. I wonder who writes half the Vaders. <laughs> One dessert split four ways. <laughs> I wonder if people know how much of my insane thinking ends up in the Doc Vader. Oh, it's clear. It's clear. All the medical stuff is Z, but if you ever hear a pop culture food reference, that's me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. That's Tom Heineber. I'm like, here's the thing. Those biscuits, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right. Where are we? We got to go. Yeah. It's been um, how long? Speaking we- of pop culture food references, I'm going to leave you all with this. Um, Long John Silver's is whack as fuck. Oh, fuck. Who, Who thought about shit? fast food fish? Dude. And why do they have hush puppies instead of fries? How, what you ever heard of fish and chips, you dumb motherfuckers that run this <laughs> restaurant? Fuck you, Long John Silver. Go I'm, learn from the British. They had I'm it right out. the first time. And fuck all y'all hoes, Long John Silver. Actually, we love you, supporters. Thank you for everything you do. Spread the word about this. The supporter tribe is now the official cool place to be because we ain't going to give this shit to the main page, although it will be a podcast because why not? All right. Fuck all y'all. I love you. We out. Peace. Thumbnail. thumbnail the thumbnail is just me. Here, let's do it here. Wait, the wrong camera, wrong camera. (laughs) Hey, it's Dr. Z. Thanks for getting through the whole episode. That's a huge accomplishment. (laughs) And so at this point, I just got to ask you for a few favors because it just helps us so much if you leave a review on your favorite podcast platform and subscribe. It, It just really helps the algorithm to get this message out to others. The second thing is email me, hello at zdogmd.com. I get all these emails personally. I can't respond to them all, but I need to hear your voice because especially on podcast, we don't have a comment section. And I wanna hear how this episode affected you, what you'd like to hear in the future, what you think we got wrong, what we think we got right, anything, anything, or just say hi. So that's really powerful. And the third thing is, 
Financially, it helps us a lot to support the show in any way you can. And if you go to zdogmd.com forward slash supporters, you can join our supporter tribe on your favorite platform, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. What that will get you on those platforms is live shows with me that are exclusive for supporters and access to our Zoom meetings where we talk about awakening realization and we share with each other our own experience. It's a powerful group effect. It's a community, really. And we support and love each other and share, again, through our own experience, how we're waking up. So, and that that ripples out into systems, into transforming healthcare and education and government. So it st- really starts with us. So join us there if you can. Again, zdogmd.com forward slash supporters. And I'm so grateful to have you with us.